I've got a real creative title for this morning's message, and that's just simply why Acts 10 is important to you, because it really is important to you. This chapter really matters. And so I'm just going to go through and I'm going to share what I believe are really important messages for us as a church, for you and me, for every one of us from this chapter. Number one is more of a general point, but it shows us, this chapter shows us again, as we've seen in Acts, that God's activity is the big story in getting people saved and in building his church. God's activity is the big story. Of course, God uses people. God uses people like you. He uses people like me. He uses people like us. But it is as we are filled and guided and moved and empowered by the Spirit that we become instruments of the good news of Jesus Christ in people's lives. We are able to do very little to change the world or to even change one life without the Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit just as much as the early church needed Him. We need the Holy Spirit to give us divine encounters with people. We need God to open up people's hearts to respond to Christ. Um, Several years ago, I was at a prayer meeting here at church, and we were having just a little discussion afterwards, and uh, someone brought up the story about how Jesus told Peter, you know, they'd been fishing all night and they caught nothing, and and Jesus told Peter to, to put down the nets. And this person was saying how we need to just put down the nets. And we do. But I will never forget that David Janicek very quietly added this comment. Yes, but it still takes the Lord to fill the nets. And I went home and I told Cindy about that. And and we never forgot that comment. We've both, neither one have forgotten it. We Yes, we make ourselves available to the Spirit. We become obedient to the Spirit's leading. But all the time we are looking to God to do the miracle of turning people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Thank God he does that. And we've just seen this all through the book of Acts. I don't know how we could, how we could possibly miss it. You know, in chapter 8, just a couple of chapters ago, we read how the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and he, and he said, go stand by that chariot. And how God used that divine leading, that, that leading of the Holy Spirit to bring about the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, just last week we read about these remarkable healing ministries that brought many to the Lord in Lydda and Joppa. And in this story today, which parts of the story we didn't read, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna bring, to bring you into that. But in this story today, God worked through angels and visions and through the voice of the Holy Spirit to add people to his church, to bring people to Christ. This chapter begins with a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. And it begins with him having a vision at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, I love the fact that we're not only told he'd had a vision, but it was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And verse 3 tells us that in this vision, he distinctly saw an angel of God 
who came to him. And the angel told him to send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Now, I'm going to stop here just a second, and I'm going to talk a little bit about visions. There's two of them in this chapter. There's one, Cornelius has a vision at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Peter also, it says that he fell into a trance or in a trance and had a vision. So visions are common throughout the Bible. They're certainly very common throughout the book of Acts, and people have them today. But what are they? Uh, David Guzik, a commentator I highly appreciate, said about this vision of Cornelius. He said, this was not a dream, nor did it actually happen. This was a vision that came in the mind's eye of, of Cornelius. At the same time, it was so vivid that Cornelius would say later, a man stood b- b- beside me in bright clothing. I mean, it was a vision, but it was so vivid, so real to him that when he test- tells Peter about this vision later, he says, there was a man standing right beside me in shining or brilliant clothing. So it wasn't, it wasn't a natural or a physical event, but it took place in a vision. Nevertheless, it was real in that, in that God really was speaking to Cornelius and later on to Peter in the form of a vision. Uh, you know, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, Peter quoted the prophecy of Joel. He said, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Prophecies, visions, and dreams were viewed as evidence of the of the working, the mighty working, the present, imminent working of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the, when the Holy Spirit is actively present, those kinds of things happen. And that's why, why Peter said, prophecies, visions, and dreams will be stirred up in young, in young and old, men and women, now that the Spirit has been poured out. Now, in, in contrast to this activity of the Spirit, in contrast to, to, to these dynamic uh, workings of the Spirit, the Jews had experienced what is known as the 400 years of silence. Now, the 400 years of silence were from the end of the Old Testament until the coming of Christ. And it's actually called the 400 years of silence, where God did not speak to them at all. And it was similar, it's not the same, but it was similar to another period in history described in 1 Samuel 3.1 that says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. But the prophet Joel, and then Peter using the words of the prophet Joel, said that prophesying and having dreams and visions was to be a fruit of the outpouring of the Spirit. And then we see this, not only did Peter say that, quoting Joel, not only did we see that uh, in Acts chapter 2, but at, the, at Pentecost, but we see it all through, all throughout the, the recording of the book of Acts, or all throughout recorded church history that we have in the Bible. Uh, 32 times in Acts, God speaks directly to a person or a group of people, uh, 11 times he communicates through prophecies. 
Uh, eight different times people have visions from the Lord, and there are five appearances of angels and many more uh, references to the activity of angels. I believe we should expect God to manifest those things in our experience. I do. I know that may sound like an extreme statement to some, but Peter said when the Holy Spirit is out is poured out, your sons and daughters are going to prophesy, your old men are going to dream dreams, your young men are going to have visions. I don't I don't mean that we should have a a crazy obsession with those things. But we are to see God as living and active and interacting with us. A God who works in dynamic ways through his spirit to work and lead and communicate with us. He lives. He's a living God. He's a living Savior. And of course, we have to be careful when we talk about these kinds of experiences. We have to be careful to examine them on the basis of God's written word God will never communicate new doctrine or information about Christ or the gospel through dreams, visions, or prophecies. But he will sometimes use those means to give us information that we need for our lives and for our service, for our direction, and for our encouragement. And we should welcome this lively activity of the Spirit in our lives. You know, sometime, I'm going to be somewhat vulnerable here, but some time ago in the early years of, of this church, I was, I, was at a, I was at a very low point. Uh, we were going through some, some troubles, and uh, I, was, I, was, I was pretty low. I'll just, I'll just say that. And I, I know I shouldn't have thought this way, but, but I, I, actually, I actually had thoughts. I, I wondered if, if God was really for me or not. <laughs> or if God is really for us or not. And during that time, uh, I had a dream in, in which I heard in the dream, so it wasn't real, but it was in the dream, I heard God speak these words, or at least this is what I thought I heard him say. He said, I love the church. And, so, and in this dream, I replied back to the Lord, and I said, Lord, of course, I know you love the church. And then the Lord re- re- replied to me, No, read, I said, I love this church. In a dream, he was telling me he loved real life church at a time when I really questioned if he did or not. In a dream, he assured me that he was for me and for us at a time where I really wondered if, if he was or not. And I needed that, and it deeply touched me and, and, and gave me uh, encourage, encouragement and encouraged me to go on. But my point is this. Throughout this whole story, and I, I hope you get a chance to go home and just read this whole story because it, it is such a dynamic story of the Spirit of God at work. But my point is this. God is moving us forward God is moving you forward. God is moving us forward. He is moving us places as a church. And sometimes he uses a vision or a dream to do it. And without this vision, 
without the voice of the Spirit that we read about or hear about in this chapter, Cornelius would never have met Peter. He would never have heard about forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Peter would never have gone to him if God had not given him a vision. And we're going to get into the details of that vision in a minute. But the reality is that it it took a vision to make Peter willing to go to Cornelius' house. And it must have also taken the voice of the Holy Spirit because even after he had this vision, it says that, you know, that God added the voice of the Holy Spirit to that vision to move Peter along. In verse 19, he says, while Peter was still pondering the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. You know, again, in the book of Acts, I love the examples of specific way the Holy Spirit speaks to people. Uh, the Holy Spirit said to people, there's, there's three, not two or 20 or just some, there's three. And they're men. They're, they're not women, they're not young people. There's three men that are looking for you. And it, it kind of reminds me of the way he, he gave Philip such information. Go up and stand by that chariot. Or the way he spoke to Ananias and said, I want you to go to a certain place on a certain street to a certain house with a guy named such and such. Um, and that it's just amazing the way the Holy Spirit led things and orchestrated this, this salvation that was coming to people. The way he was bringing people into the church, into Christ, bringing people to Christ through these mighty workings and activity of the Spirit and even using angels and visions and dreams to do so. Now, it would be a huge mistake to think that there must be a vision or a voice from God in order to share the good news of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But we should be aware that it takes the hand of God. It takes the activity of God. It takes the work of the Spirit actively working both in us and in those we are to reach in order for people to be saved. And when we realize that, when we fully realize that, you know what's going to happen? We're going to start to pray. We're going to see that it's a spiritual work that takes the work of God. We will pray for God to open people's hearts. We will ask the Spirit to guide us to people. And we'll expect him to do that. We'll ask God to create open doors and prepared hearts. All right. And I just, I felt I had to make that an emphasis here for this chapter because there is so much supernatural activity here. There's angels, two visions, uh, trance or dream, uh, the Holy Spirit speaking. I mean, it's just, it's just God is so actively at work here in this story. Now, second, this story shows the determination of God that non-Jews should be saved. God himself brought Gentiles into the church. Now, I think probably most, most people know what Gentiles are, but Gentiles is just everybody who is not an Israelite, everybody who is, a, who is not a Jew. That's, that includes you and me. Everybody else on the planet uh, who is not a Jew is a Gentile. And God was determined. It was part of his heart and his plan to bring Gentiles into the church. 
And so, so God used these visions, the appearance of an angel, the voice of the Holy Spirit, to bring this about. He, he made it happen. I mean, God, this, this wasn't just kind of an accident. God, we're not just reading a story about something that just happened to happen. God made this happen. He was determined to bring it about. And that's really the big story here. This huge breakthrough of the message of Jesus to Gentiles, to non-Jews. God was determined that people like you and I outside of Israel would be brought in to the kingdom of Christ. He was determined that, that people who were not part of the people, the Jews, whom he initially chose, he was determined that people who were not part of that group would belong to him and receive and inherit his promises and salvation just as much as any Jew. Now, this may not be something that you appreciate. This may be a point that you feel rather ho-hum about. It may just be something that doesn't, doesn't excite you, but it should. It really should. Because without God coming after us, we would still be alone and without him in the world. Without God coming after us, we would still be far from him. Without God coming after you, you would still be far from him. You know, Paul tried to help us, I think, understand this, the importance of this, and why it should, why it should excite us, why it should matter to us, why we should deeply appreciate this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, remember, okay, it's something he... He, he wants us to get. He says, okay, guys, here's something I want you to think about. He said, remember this, that you Gentiles were at that time separate from Christ. Excluded, you get that word, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Or some translations say excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the condition of Gentiles. That would be our condition if God hadn't decided to come after us. But now, Paul goes on, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the blood of Jesus Christ shed at the cross brought non-Jews like us. We were those people that were separate. We were were part of those people that were... uh, strangers to the promise, having no hope and without, without God in the world. But the blood of Jesus shed at the cross brought people like us to God. And otherwise, we would have remained without God forever, excluded from the promise of the Spirit. So thank God for this chapter, right? I mean, this is really, really an important message, really important part of this, of this chapter, uh, chapter 10 of Acts. In Romans 10, verse 20, uh, 
Paul is quoting the Lord speaking here. So this is really the Lord speaking. Uh, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Do you know who he's talking about there? Us. He's talking about us. He's talking about Gentiles. I was found by those who did not seek me. That's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it sounds like a contradiction. God allowed himself to be found by those who weren't even looking for him. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. You know, he, God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to do that. We didn't deserve it. And I'm talking about, certainly I'm talking about all of Gentiles in a general sense, but we also have to personalize it. God didn't have to do that for us. Uh, we didn't deserve it. You know, so, so many people today, especially in today's culture, think that, that, that they are entitled to God's favor and salvation. But it is a grace. It is a tremendous act of grace that we have been given. And we should never stop being amazed. We are, we are no longer, you and I are no longer alone and without God in the world. We're no longer separate from Christ. We're no longer excluded from the promises of God. But we've been brought near through the blood of Jesus. And, and that's what's happening in Acts 10. That's what's happening right here in this chapter. That's why this is so important. Number three, this story proves that Jesus Christ was sent for all peoples and nations without discrimination. You know, we, we constantly need to be reminded that Jesus Christ to save, came to save sinners from every tribe and country, from every group of people, in every culture, in every language. We need to be reminded of that. He didn't just come for Americans. He didn't just come for white people. He didn't just come for Europeans or whatever, you know. He, he came for people. He came to save sinners from every tribe and country, from every people group and every culture and every language. And verse, verse 34, now uh, Peter, it says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. You know, we would probably all mentally agree with that truth, uh, but, how, but how well do we live that out? Uh, when, when we're actually around people from another culture, or another race, or from another background that's, that's vastly different from ours? Do we truly think God accepts them just as much as he does us? You know, when, when people talk different or have different values, when, when they sing different, when they like different music than, than you do, or maybe they like to, to move and dance when they worship, and, you, and, and that's totally foreign to you. Or, the, or they love brilliant colors and, and you like, dull and subdued colors or or they display more emotion or less emotion than you do do you really believe there is no partiality with god well the message of acts 
10 is clearly that God shows no favoritism, no partiality. God accepts people from every nation and tribe and culture based only on faith in Jesus Christ. Many of you have heard of uh, Elizabeth Elliot, who was the wife of Jim Elliot, missionary to the Aka Indians back in the 50s. And I I don't know if you know this part of the story or not, but after Jim Elliot was speared to death by the Aka Indians... Elizabeth, with her daughter Valerie, continued to live down there with the, with the people who murdered her husband. She continued to, to live down there among these uh, native Indians. And she wrote a book uh, called The Liberty of Obedience in which she just talked about a lot of things that she learned in living with the Alka Indians. And in that book, she quoted a hymn by uh, Frederick Faber, written in 1854, called There's There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. And it's something that really needs to grip our hearts. Here's the words of that hymn. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice, which is more than liberty. There's a welcome for the sinner and more graces for the good. There is mercy with the Savior There is healing in his blood. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. There is plentiful redemption in the blood that has been shed, but we make his love too narrow by false limits of our own, and we magnify his strictness with a zeal he will not own. But just there's there's a wideness in God's, God's mercy He's going after people from every culture, language, tribe, and nation. Number four, this story shows how badly we need God to change our beliefs and customs that don't line up with the heart of God. This story shows how badly we need God to change our beliefs and customs that don't line up with the heart of God. Peter had spent three years with Jesus... Spent day and night together, ate together. They walked through villages and towns. He was an apostle. He had been filled with the Spirit. He had healed people in the name of Jesus. He had preached. And yet, he still did not grasp God's plan to take the message of Jesus to those outside the circle of his fellow Jews. He, he did, did not fully understand yet the, the prophecies of, of the old covenant that God would call people outside of Israel to be his own people. And that Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles and that God's servant, the Messiah, would be a light to the Gentiles. And it, it wasn't only... Peter's issue, uh, it says in the, later in the story, it says the circumcised believers, in other words, the Jewish believers who came with Peter, they just, you know, they just couldn't imagine that, that God would save Gentiles. They just couldn't imagine that God would save these uh, outsiders, these unclean people that, that Peter was speaking to. They, they thought they had the mind of God on this, but God had to change their minds and their hearts. God had to prove to them that they were wrong. 
uh, Peter was still operating to some extent under Jewish custom, and, and God had to shake him up. He, he had to challenge things that Peter felt very certain about. I mean, Jews did not associate with non, non-Jews. Jews did not eat with those who were not Jews. And so imagine, imagine the shock when Peter, uh, in, in the NIV it says he, he, it says he fell into a trance, but he, he, he had his, uh, the vision that says the heavens were open. He's, the, he's quoting from the passage, it says, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds that a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter replied, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean or unholy and unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then the sheet was taken back up into heaven. And then it says, while Peter was still thinking about this vision, the spirit spoke to him and told him to go with these men who were sent by Cornelius to go with these men to the home of Cornelius. And so he went in obedience to the voice of the Spirit, but I find it interesting. He still felt he had to explain this, this change of mind to Cornelius. You know, when he, when he arrived, uh, almost one of the, it's almost like the first thing out of Peter's mouth was, Cornelius, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. It's like, even though God, you know, changed his mind on that, it's, it's like, it's like he still had to tell Cornelius, hey, I'm having a tough time with this. You, you are well aware that this is really a big change in my thinking. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. The ESV says that I should not call anyone common or unclean. And then Peter said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. So God used this vision and you just wonder why he repeated it three times. Uh, I mean, I, I, I would guess it was just probably took three times for, for Peter to really make sure he was seeing, seeing the right thing because it brought about such a drastic change in his conviction or his belief. And I'm sure Peter probably first thought this vision was just about food. But according to this chapter and the rest of the story, it was mainly about people. God was using this vision to open his heart to the people outside of Israel that God wanted to say. God had to, sh- had to show Peter or convince Peter that it was okay to go to Cornelius' house and to preach Jesus there. Now, just, just to bring this down just a little bit more for us, and maybe I don't need to, the Spirit of God, I think, can use this story just as is to touch your life, but... Many times, many times we hold on to views and attitudes that we think are from God when they really are not. We sometimes hold on to things that we think the Bible teaches that it really does not. And it takes something really big sometimes to wake us up to what God really says. You know, sometimes we have just put our our spin on the Bible for so long or our spin on certain verses or passages for so long 
that we can't see what it actually does say. That we can't see what is clearly there until God wakes us up like he does, does Peter. And so, you know, we need, we need to uh, read our Bibles, study them diligently, uh, but with, with an open heart and an open mind to see what God actually is saying, what actually is teaching. Number five, this story reminds us that we are to be so taken up with the wonder, the power, the work, the reality of Jesus Christ, that he is who we talk about. When we do get that opportunity, when the spirit or even perhaps as in this chapter, even a vision or a dream somehow, God works miraculously through healing or something gives us the opportunity to actually have an encounter with someone, talk with them. What is our message? It's Jesus Christ. We should be so taken up with his power, with his life, with his reality that he's who we talk about. Peter's message, that was, I just so impressed with his message. It's just, just simply telling these people about Jesus. And I'm going to, I'm going to just take the time to re- repeat this, this message because it's so important. It just made the spirit impress you with Jesus. Just as you hear what Peter said again, he said, you know, the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Well, you know, this, this was the main message, peace, peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. In other words, Jesus is alive. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Do you see how focused on Christ that is? And what a, what a great message. I mean, just, he just, man, Jesus is the one who gives us peace with God. He is the Lord. He is the healer. He was crucified on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. He lives now. We are witnesses to that. Jesus Christ was appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. He is our Savior who forgives sins and all who believe in him can receive forgiveness of sins through his name. It's all about him, what he has done, what is available to us through him. Every blessing of God flows through us through his name. Our hearts need, yeah, we could clap about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our hearts need, we need this. We, our hearts need to be full of how amazing 
and wonderful and precious and powerful is the name of Jesus. We need to be more taken up with him. We need to be more in awe of Jesus. We need to really believe that Jesus is wonderful in order to be able to tell others that they need him. Number six, and my last point, is that this chapter, and again, these are all just under this general point, why this chapter is important to you, why it's important to me. Number six, it reminds us that the key promise of the gospel is that you will receive the Holy Spirit. As Peter was speaking to these people, these Gentiles, these people that were excluded from the, from, from the blessing of Israel, as Peter was speaking to these people, and they believed in their hearts, the Holy Spirit fell on them. It's an amazing event. When the, when the Gentiles heard the message about Christ and believed, the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's in verse uh, 44. The, the, the best gift that God could ever give you is himself. The best gift that God can ever give you is his spirit to come upon you. I mean, that... It's the best, it's the greatest, it's the end result of the gospel that God gives us himself, his very own presence in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself uh, comes to us he is, he is with us. He said, I, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And he, he was saying that he was speaking about the Holy Spirit and that Christ himself comes to us through the Holy Spirit. In, in fact, when we were going through Galatians, um, Galatians 3.14 says that Jesus says, He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, Amen. the promise of the Spirit. I mean, God saved you. God saved you with, with, with this end result in mind. Obviously that your sins would be forgiven. Obviously that you would have peace with God. Obviously so that you would be going to heaven. Obviously to remove judgment and condemnation from you. But he saved you in order that he might pour his Spirit into your heart and so that you might be filled with the spirit and live in the spirit and walk in the spirit at all times and in all places and in all situations throughout every day, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Monday through Monday, (laughs) Monday through Sunday. And this, this new life in the spirit is, is what makes us Christians or not. I mean, it's the Christian is. It's not just changing a set of beliefs. It's having a new life. It's being born of the Spirit. It's new life in the Spirit that makes us believers. It's it's a it's a spiritual uh, birth. It's a spiritual change. So, verse forty four again. I'll quote: As Peter was speaking, I love this. As Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. 
I was in a situation uh, recently and where the word was shared, but, but th- there wasn't a lot of life with it. And I, I, I told my wife afterwards, I said, it's amazing how dead the word of God can be without the spirit of God. The word of God without the spirit does not give life. People need the word of God and they need the spirit of God to fall on them. And Paul said, our message did not come to you with word only. In word, it didn't come just in word, but it came in power and in the spirit. You know, without the spirit, honestly, uh, Bible verses can, can just be noise. You know, and and I've, I've talked to people like that where, you know, I'm sharing verses with them, powerfully good verses, but they're just, they're so, they're so close to the spirit that you can tell all, they're just hearing noise. It doesn't impact them. They're just, they just kind of want to move on to, to something else. So I believe something like this needs to happen every time the word is shared. And, and I, 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 I don't say I pray, I pray this every Sunday, but I mean, I think about that, that, wow, it's, I don't want to just get up here and share the word. I want, as I'm sharing the word, I want the spirit to fall on people's hearts and minds. I want the spirit to be at work. Uh, I don't, don't want, don't want the message to come in word only. In verse 44 and uh, I'm excuse me, verse 45 and 46, and the believers from among the circumcised, in other words, the Jewish believers who'd come with Peter, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So Peter proclaimed the message. These people believed uh, God poured out his spirit or it says the spirit fell on them and they spoke in tongues and were praising God. So, so God, he saved them and he gave them the Holy Spirit and then he confirmed, he confirmed that he did that. He confirmed that he saved them and he confirmed that they had the Holy Spirit through the gift of tongues. Um, so God proved to, to these the skeptical, what, what is called in this passage, uh, circumcised believers. Uh, God proved to the circumcised believers that he was saving Gentiles too simply by their believing in Jesus. They, these people didn't convert to Judaism first. They didn't adopt a whole bunch of Jewish laws and practices and observances. They simply believed the message about Jesus and the Holy Spirit fell on them. The Jews had sunk into this self-focused belief that God didn't care about anybody but them, that he wouldn't save anybody but them unless they came kind of through the means of converting to Judaism and ad- adopting Jewish practices. But but on that day at Cornelius's home, they knew God had saved these people because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And so they had they had to accept them as part of the church. They, they could not think of the church as Jews only anymore. Uh, they could no longer say that Gentiles had to become Jews in order to be saved. Now, 
Just a little side note here I want to make about them speaking in tongues and praising God. Some, sometimes people will uh, say that tongues are only for speaking or were only, this is the way they'll put it, tongues were only for speaking to foreign or foreigners in their language. Uh, so using tongues as a prayer language is not an authentic gift of the Spirit. But here in this chapter, as, as in Acts 2 and in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, tongues are used primarily to praise God. They're used to praise God in prayer, to talk to God, or in song. They, they're not being used here to proclaim the gospel to foreigners, but they are directed toward God as praise, declaring his wonders in prayers or songs. Uh, as David Guzik said, when people spoke in tongues, the audience was God, not man. Now, seeing that they obviously had received the Holy Spirit, at, they proceeded to baptize them in water. Verses 47 and 48. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, Yet again, as I've pointed out throughout our teaching in the book of Acts, you know, just every, almost every conversion experience that we read about in the book of Acts, we see people receiving or being filled with or the Holy Spirit being poured out on them. And then we also see baptism in water as part of the conversion experience. Now, these people are not saved by baptism. They were already saved just hearing the message, right? They were not saved by speaking in tongues. God saved them as they heard the heard and believed the message about Jesus. As a result of that, the Spirit was poured out on them, and then they were baptized in water. So we should not muddy the message of salvation, which is by faith, in Christ alone. And, and yet we should never think that receiving the Spirit or being baptized in water do not, do not matter. And then just a, just a final, final thought here. Uh, you know, we can make too much of manifestations of the Holy Spirit, such as speaking in tongues. And yet so often in the book of Acts, receiving the Holy Spirit was accompanied by some... Un, unmistakable outward evidence of that. And I believe we should expect to see evidences that God has filled us with his spirit. I don't think we have to put a, a, a you know, real tight expectation on that. Uh, I think we should expect to see evidences that God has filled us with the spirit that might be speaking in tongues or prophesying or praising God or just a new passion and love for God and for his people and love for his word and on and on. Uh, the, the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, which is the, founded by A.B. Simpson, A.W. Tozier was a part of that. Uh, they put it this way, we should have expectancy without agenda. In other words, we sh- we sh- when we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we should expect to see gifts and manifestations of that but we should not put an agenda on it in the sense that we demand that there be the exact same experience in every person in every case. So we have this tremendous success, 
sense of expectancy without agenda. So what an amazing story in this chapter. And yet I do not think we are to think of this as a story that happened 2,000 years ago in Caesarea. We're not, think, we're not supposed to just think of this as a story that happened ages ago. The same God, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit is with us today. And this story is to open our hearts to his power to save people. It's to open our hearts to the vibrant activity of the Holy Spirit in bringing people to Jesus Christ. It's to prepare us to live out our own adventure as the Spirit fills us and imparts gifts to us and empowers us to serve Jesus. Let's pray.